All right. So how's it going uh, up there in the great, uh, great white north? Well, our snow is finally gone, so that's always a plus, and uh, means I can put the snowblower away finally. Although, of course, the minute that I do that, we're going to have a big snowstorm tomorrow. So uh, I'll probably wait till you know, after Easter. <laughs> All we've got is wind. It's just ridiculously windy down here right now. Mm. Where where are you located? Uh, middle of the country, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, okay, nice. So, yeah. Nebraska. I can't really hide that since uh, every time at the end of one of these things, I always give a shout out to the bookworm here in Omaha because I like to give a shout out to uh, local bookstores. So it's not like nice. nobody knows where I'm at. Well, all I know about Nebraska is I'm pretty sure that's where Mr. Sinister from the X-Men had his mutant orphanage where Cyclops grew up. So uh, gotcha. big X-Men fan from uh, from back in the day. So it was like, you got to stay away from Nebraska. That's where Mr. Sinister lives. You know, <laughs> I'm also a huge X-Men fan, but probably because when I was younger, I grew up in Phoenix. I probably did not recognize it didn't dawn on me at the time. If I saw that now, I'm sure I'd catch on to that. It's like Omaha. Always weird because I think Omaha, again, growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, fifth largest metropolitan in the U.S., mm -hmm. moving to Omaha, and I realized how many times Omaha gets mentioned in a book here or there, and I'm like, oh yeah, I would have, I would have never picked this place out of a, out of a hat. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned Phoenix. I'm actually going to Phoenix next month to visit a couple of friends. So. Oh, nice. It'll be our first trip, how post pandemic, even though we're still sort of in the pandemic, but you know what I mean. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll give a shout out uh, uh, to Poison Pen. If you're down in the Phoenix area, Scottsdale, Poison Pen. Oh, they cool. do a lot of author events and they are a huge mystery, uh, mystery type stuff. So, oh, awesome. I love mystery stuff. Always give a shout out to that. We got about, yeah, we got about three minutes here. Let it count down. Let people know we're coming. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. How long uh, you said, did you grow up in Phoenix? Is that where you're from? I, I did. It's one of those weird things where, well, look at the gray. Uh, I've been here long enough now that I've been in Nebraska longer than I've been in Arizona. Mm -hmm. You always kind of, your formative years, you always kind of feel like that's where your hometown is. But yeah, right. I've been in Nebraska longer than I was in Phoenix at this point. What can you tell me about the heat in Phoenix? Is it, is it a dry heat? Like, like what, what can I yeah, expect? They, they do say, well, you're going at a good time. It should not be too bad right now. When did you say okay. you're going up? Uh, May, middle May. of May. You're yeah. starting to get warm. It's June, July, August that you got to worry about. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I have been in Phoenix when it was 125 degrees outside. Oof. It is a dry heat. Um, yeah. So like, for instance, if you're riding in your car, you're only going to be wet where your back is touching the seat. Right. And if you get out of the car, you'll be dry in about five minutes. Wow. Uh, but yeah, basically, if you want to prepare for Phoenix, turn your oven up and then, <laughs> you know, just open it, let that blast of air hit you in the face and close it again. That's how it is. That's kind of like rolling down your window in Phoenix. That's yeah, exactly so my buddy that. said, my buddy says like having a hair dryer on you like all the time. <laughs> it is, but May May shouldn't be too bad. It's been a long time since I'm down there, but unless you get an early heat wave, May should still be. Well, if you're used to it, it should be you know, <laughs> should be mm. doable. Right. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and if you're if you're a golf fan, I don't know if you're a golf fan, but if you're a golf fan, it's everywhere. Oh really? Lots of golf courses down there. Oh yeah. Uh, we won't discuss how much water they probably spend on those greens considering uh, everybody's got to share the water down in the desert, but I can imagine. Yeah. It is a place. If you like sports at all, I mean, because you, you can play pretty much year round. There's, there's really? no pretty bad weather. If you're a hockey fan. You're kind of out of luck. You've got to find an indoor rink, but uh, everybody else, everybody else is good to go. <laughs> That's all right. No, I'm looking forward to just sitting around the pool. I think just getting away from Canadian winter for, for a little while. So, uh, yeah, 
it's one of those vacations where I'm just going to sit around and do nothing for, for a week. <laughs> hey, those are the best ones. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for this. I love my wife, but uh, it, she's getting better. Don't get me wrong. But when we first started and um, going on vacation, especially with the kids, like mm-hmm. we we're going to be here at seven and here at mm-hmm. 55 and we got to be over there by 11. And finally, after a few years, we finally convinced her. It's like, let's have a day. Mm-hmm. There's nothing planned. Right. Because if we ever saw something, it's like, oh, that'd be cool. It's like, nope, that's not on the schedule. Yeah. Well, you got two types of vacation. You got the vacation where you sort of sit on your butt and you do nothing. And then you got your vacation where you want to go see stuff and do stuff and you have to hit things at a certain time. So they're two very distinct types of vacation. And yeah, whoever you're going with on vacation with, you got to be on the same page for that because there's like, no, 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 I'm sitting here for six days. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) It's like, no, no, we have to go see this, this, and this. So I don't know much about Phoenix. So, I mean, I don't know in terms of the sites, I mean, it's definitely not why we're going there, but uh, uh, I've never been to any place sort of desert ish. I've been to, I've been to Vegas a few times, but we never really left the strip. We went to the grand Canyon once I wanted to drive up to area 51, but it's like two hours away. My wife was worried I was going to get shot. So we didn't get to go to area 51. So I promised her I wasn't going to go past the sign. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not stupid, you know, I'm not mostly stupid about stuff like that. All right. I'm going to kick off the uh, intro here real quick just to get us going. I left my cat here because I knew he was going to claw the door, and now he's calling to get eggs. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do the pre-ramble. I do promise uh, Ian is here. His cat's just uh, his cat's just deciding whether to stay in or stay out. Anybody with us who've ever had pets, we know exactly how that works. Um, so I'm going to, uh, so real quick on the pre-ramble, I just made Twitch affiliate. So this is a little bit new to me. I'm going to get a recording of this. Uh, so I don't have to say this over and over all the time, but I wasn't quite sure what it was going to look like the first time around. So if you see a little heart down there below you, you hit that. That's just the follow button. I always appreciate it. It makes it easier to find me again. There is a subscribe button. I'm not a big fan of asking people for money. However, if you do have an Amazon Prime account, you do get one free Twitch subscription that you can use every month. If you want to throw that at me, I will not complain. Uh, And then don't do it right now, but also if you click on the about, that's going to give you links to all of my social media, Twitter, all that stuff. My name is Edward. Um, I go by Griftkin, but that's just because, you know, when I started this Twitter handle or this Twitch handle, I was playing games. I wasn't talking to people. So, and also, obviously, I didn't say the word griftkin multiple times before I decided that was a good username. All right. But what we're here for, author Ian Rogers uh, has a huge selection of short story uh, horror books. I cannot believe that it took me so long to discover you. I finally realized how long you've been writing. Uh, I'm one of those unfortunate people where I go in, I go in shifts. I read everything, but I go in shifts. And I think my last big horror uh, burst was probably in the late 80s, late early 90s. Basically, anything Robert McCammon put out, I read. Um, so I'm actually getting back into horror because of you. I started with Shards. Uh, I, I just, I just, I, t- I think I told you already, I just love the book. I almost don't have any questions because I thought it was so perfectly written. Uh, well, thank you very much. It was it was good. It's like this is the other thing, and I've told some of the authors that I've been talking to recently, not to be a snob, but I never really got into short stories because if it was a really good book, I wanted more. 
Mm-hmm. And I've read some short stories now, and especially something like Shards, where I'm like, no, this was perfect. Mm-hmm. You, well, you, uh, you couldn't have made it any longer without making up filler. My uh, my wife would totally agree with you. She she is not a fan of short stories, although she would tell you that she was sort of ruined for short stories with her English degree, where they sort of just analyzed them to death and sort of, sort of took the joy out of it for her. So she is sort of like the consummate book buyer, where she loves novels. She's not a big short story or a short story collection fan, but um, yeah, the funny thing for me is I don't, I don't write a lot of short stories anymore. They sort of, they want to go long. So shards was, I think about 9,000 words. And once you go past five, 5,000 words, there's not a lot of places you can really sell it to, but fortunately um, Ellen Datlow took that one. And um, it just, yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. I was trying to do something really different with the, uh, the cabin in the woods type story. So um, something sort of uh, subversive without being too gimmicky, you know, like I think a gimmick doesn't last. A gimmick is sort of like a line and people realize it has no substance. So I wanted to do something that had more substance. So I thought, well, what if what if I told a cabin in the woods story, but the story actually starts after they've already experienced the horrible things at the cabin. And the story is really about what happens to them when they go home. And it's sort of like a. like a supernatural PTSD story of the trauma. And you get, you obviously there's, there's flashes and there's intros of what, of what happened at the cabin, but largely um, it's, it's in, it's in the past. So I really wanted to focus on one character because I think, especially in horror, um, all, all story is, all plot is, is stuff happening to characters that you've been made to care about. So I thought you had to really care about these people. I didn't want them to be sort of uh, um, you know, sort of dispensable, you know, teen characters from a, from a slasher movie. We've seen all those people before. And whenever we watch those types of movies, we're usually rooting for the killer because the, the characters are usually so awful or so one note. So I was trying to give these characters a, a bit more substance, a bit more, a bit more character as much as you can in a, in a, uh, a 9,000 word story. But again, even then you don't want to sort of overstay your welcome. So I, I sort of had this, uh, this end point um, where I wanted to reach it and sort of say, Hey, now it's done. I think you have enough that people will say you got to know these people, but you didn't want to stretch it out into a novella or much less a novel. I, I think that would have been stretching it way, way too thin. I also love the fact that you said you mentioned it was kind of a PTSD story. Mm-hmm. Each one of those people, even though they all experience the same thing, it's a different piece of it that haunts them, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate it. It's not like everybody's going through the same thing, like, you know, most slasher fic- flicks. Somebody's just going around, you know, everybody's trying to kill each other. It's yours was mm-hmm. like, it wasn't even necessarily that it was trying to kill them. It was just how it affected them. And they're almost, I think it's more, more, more of a psychological thriller type mm-hmm. thing to me. Well, it's the, the way that uh, the word, um, it's the way the word like haunted gets thrown around so much that we think immediately of ghosts, but like people are haunted by things all the time. It's ha- haunting just means memory, like a memory of something that, that, that bothers you, that disturbs you in some way. So there is a, an argument that could be said that a lot of the stuff that was happening to them um, after the cabin was only in their heads and they sort of did these things themselves because, um, uh, because of the trauma that they endured. So it's, it's something that, um, I mean, I still believe that there's a very much supernatural explanation for this story, but mm-hmm. I'm saying from a, from a certain perspective, you could say that um, it's either all in their head or it's really just an exploration of, of trauma and, and grief, of course, because, because it's one of their friends has also died. It's not just the horrible things that have happened to them, but it's the horrible things that have happened to a, to a beloved friend who, uh, who didn't survive the experience, you know? Oh yeah. It was, well, like I said, excellent, excellent book. Uh, by the way, we wouldn't have been able to tell you were Canadian until you said about. <laughs> I, 
it's funny because I was just talking to someone about that last time and uh, I never feel like I'm saying a boot and but see people people seem to hear it and what I've heard someone who actually works in linguistics told me that it's half of how I'm speaking it and half of how you're hearing it mm-hmm. because I genuinely don't feel like I'm saying a boot and it was funny I've talked to other Canadians and we never really understood where the about thing comes from. It was like, it was like, I've never, I've never heard anyone. I don't feel like I'm saying about, you know, in a strange way, but who knows, right? I mean, it's, no, no, uh, it's there's, there's a bit of an accent. I, and I tease because my wife uh, grew up in Minnesota. So that's right. one of those words that she kind of says the same way. She doesn't sound mm-hmm. Minnesotan until she pulls it out. I actually loved a meme too. I saw one time. It's like, it was a cartoon. Actually, she says it was a cartoon. It's like what they think we say. And it was a picture of a boat. And what we were right. really saying is a picture of a boot. And so right. <laughs> it was one way or the other. And I always thought it was kind of funny. Um, but that does lead me to another question. Mm. You're Canadian. You're supposed yes, to be am. a nice guy. What are you doing writing horror stories? Well, you know, that's 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 the hook, though, right? I mean, we're very unassuming that way. So it's uh, it's one of the things I always think of. Uh, one of the things I like about or I've always liked about Shirley Jackson is uh uh, not just being being a woman working in the genre at a time when 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 women uh, were not writing that sort of thing, but even even when she was writing those types of stories, people don't even really realize how subversive she was. She wasn't publishing her stories in Amazing Stories or Twilight Zone magazine. She was publishing her stories in like Good Housekeeping. You know, like I, I'm convinced that a lot of the editors who who published her stuff had no idea that like the demon lover was about this story or the summer people was about that story. You know, it's just, it's, uh, she was such a good writer that I think um, maybe a lot of the themes and um, elements in her story went over a lot of people's heads at that time because it's, it's, it's darker in a very under, under uh, current sort of a way that I think people are just not really aware of. I mean, people know the lottery. I mean, that's the story that, that everyone sort of knows. And even then, um, she, there's a great quote from her where she talks about the number of people who thought um, that the woman was going to win a washer and dryer set by the end of the story. You know, like it's such a, it's such a slam finish there with a, uh, with a surprise ending that that's what she's sort of known for. But that, that sort of you know, domestic horror, suburban horror, um, is a thread through all of her work. You know, it's, uh, it's what makes her so incredible. So I think being Canadian in that way, um, and people think that we're, we're all polite or we're all, uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, friendly that way, which is not, which is not a bad thing as far as reputations go, stereotypes go. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it actually, uh, makes it more surprising that we can actually do like really effective horror. Cause there's lots of great horror writers up here. You know, there's, you know, like Gemma Files, one of our best writers and her stuff is just messed up in the best way. You know, it's, uh, an incredible writer and dark, you know, dark, dark, dark. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, and I say that teasingly, I know you can't, you can't brush everybody with the same paintbrush and stuff like that, but it's just one of those things, you know, it's, it's such a, a stereotype. And like I said, it's a good stereotype. There's absolutely nothing wrong. There's bad stereotypes, but it's such a good stereotype that you just, as, and this is probably just me being an American, uh, you know, it's <laughs> like a, a horror writer from Canada. <laughs> they gave us Ryan Reynolds. Come on now. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I see. I see. Oop, the, the, I was seeing the cat go back there behind you. Oh yeah, so, he's new. Um, I'm obviously going to have some questions about some of the books I read. Some of the ones though that were a little bit harder to find. I did mm-hmm. have a question. If there's anything that you wanted to tell people about the Felix Wren Blacklands, because that one was just, I'm I'm super interested in it. I just haven't been able to get my hands on any. 
at the moment. Yeah, the uh, I feel like the reason why the Blackland stories haven't really broken through into Big Brother, there's two, there's two reasons. And, and one of them is that um, uh, to date, um, it's mostly been short stories and, and sort of novellas, many of which are in like magazines that aren't in print anymore or chapbooks that are out of print from publishers that are out of print. Um, so they're kind of scattered. I've been doing the stories for over 10 years now, but to really anchor this series, you have to have like a book, you know, mm. and there was a collection of Felix Wren novellas. I'd collected all the chapbooks and I had done a, uh, um, a fourth book to sort of tie them all together. So it was like a collection of four novellas called uh, Super Noir Troll Tales, which is just supernatural and noir because that's what the stories are. Um, and the press that did them, Burning Effigy, they did a fantastic job. It was an often awesome cover art. But um, the book, uh, the press went out of business like two months after the book came out. And the book also came out on the heels of my first collection, Every House is Haunted, which probably wasn't the best move. That was that was my idea. It wasn't the publisher's um, mistake. That was my mistake. So I think Every House is Haunted kind of overshadowed this book. It's why you don't release books kind of back to back. You like to leave at least a few months, if not a year, between book releases. So I think between those two things, um, no one really saw Supernatural Tales. Um, which is too bad because I'm really, really proud of that book. And it was going to be the introduction to the, the Blacklands novel series. So um, I've written um, uh, one Felix Wren novel to date called Sycamore, and I've started the second one. And my agent is sort of in the process of trying to sell them right now. And the, the problem with, um, with a series, uh, especially like a horror series, is that, and we're dealing, I'm talking primarily about the, uh, the big five imprints, um, First of all, the Big Five doesn't publish a ton of horror. There's really only a handful of imprints that publish horror these days. So you're already sort of uh, skating uphill on that one. And then the fact that you're trying to do a series, um, some of the rejections that we received for Sycamore to date, they really like the book. But because it's a series, they, they, they can't commit to it. And that's really the problem with a series is unless you're, you're going to get buy-in from the editor and everyone up the ladder that they have to send it to get approval, because it's never one person at a publisher. It's not like the editor says, I want this, and then they buy it. They got to send it to acquisitions, and then they got to send all these other people, and they have to check your previous sales. And there's the money people, and then there's the art people. So it's, it's a big battle to get a book sold by a big five uh, publisher. Um, and if everyone doesn't love this book and think that it, it thinks it can make a lot of money, they don't want to buy it. And if they think it's part of a series and they don't all love the series, a series just looks like a commitment they don't want to make. So you need to find that publisher who wants the book and loves the series and wants everything. We want the novel. We want the short stories. We want the novellas. We want to be in the Blacklands business. So it's it's a much bigger animal to try to sell than than a novel. So uh, that's something that I've learned through through the agenting process and working with uh, with big five publishers and editors who've, who've been great. Like I said, they they love the book. There there hasn't been anyone who's been really really critical of it. But the the fact that it's a series that it's sort of horror urban fantasy it's just a bridge too far for 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 all of them so far um and then you think about you know well what about all the other horror series that are being published today and there aren't any they're just there are horror books that are to think of one yeah it was a name one the, the closest one that you really get are like the dresden files jim butcher series which is fantasy it's not right, horror yeah, and then maybe that. laurel k hamilton's her vampire uh um hunter series but again that's that's more paranormal romance which yep. is its own sort of a thing and again nothing wrong with them but mine is more super like that's why i call them supernatural noirs or super noir trolls because it owes as much to the detective genre of like ross mcdonald 
and Dashiell Hammett and Robert B. Parker as it does to the horror genre. It's, um, I, I really love those genres so much that I really, really wanted to mash them together. And until you really find someone who's in love with it, they just, they just don't see it, you know, and then that, that's fine. I mean, you, it's, it, it really is like dating where I, I've met lots of great editors. I've met lots of really, really nice people. I just haven't found the one yet. And, and um, it was like when I was looking for my agent, you're, you're looking for, for the one who really gets you, who's, who's going to make your work better, who's going to champion your work. And my agent um, is, is really fantastic and really does that. So now we're just trying to find the other piece. Cause if you get an editor, then you sort of have this in, right? They, they want your stuff. They want to help you develop your stuff. But right now you're sort of just knocking on that door and trying to, trying to get in. But um, I am hopeful that, uh, that the, the Blacklands will find a home somewhere because um, I'm still writing the stories. Even, even my, my next uh, big um, story coming out um, in uh, Ellen Datlow's collection, um, or sorry, anthology, Screams from the Dark, it's actually uh, Tor Nightfire's first um, anthology, um, the, new, the new Nightfire imprint. And it's, it's a massive book and it's a, it's a really, really incredible list of contributors. I'm really excited to be with these people. These are like the heavy hitters of horror that are in here. And um, my story is a Blackland story. And Ellen, um, she told me that she thought that my story was the perfect story to sort of introduce the book. So that's why she put it at the very beginning of the anthology. And that was really cool for me because um, I've never had that before. I've been in lots of anthologies and I've never been the first story. So to have that with a big, you know, high profile anthology like this and the fact that it's a black land story, I think that it'll give it... Um, it'll give us some good attention. You know, I'm hope hopeful. You know? Oh, no, yeah. I'm hoping to grab some traction. I'm also going to have to make note of that. I didn't realize that you did have a collection on the black lens. I know it's going to be hard to find, but I may have to poke my head out for that because I'm really interested uh, because I loved the eight series. Uh, mm -hmm. I haven't, I obviously I haven't been able to, again, I haven't been able to get all of them. Um, some of them are older, uh, but I did love that series. Uh, I read the go fish one, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, that one was quite interesting. I was wondering where you're going up with that one. Unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't read the original. I didn't realize it was the second. Or I th feel like, is it the second one in the series? Yeah, that's the second one. The first one is um, the house on Ashley Avenue, Thank which you. is Ashley in, which Avenue. Which is in yeah. So yeah, the the good thing with those early ones is that you don't really need to have read them in order. I mean, there's only two really. Right. Um, there's there's other stories that sort of bump up against the the Miraville group and the eight. Um, there's a few other stories in. Um, in every house is haunted, where there are characters who refer to this group, and I'm pretty sure that I removed the actual name of the insurance company because I didn't want to confuse people that were reading the collection. They might think that it was like a mosaic novel or something, so I downplayed those connections. Um, but they are they are technically Miraville Group stories. But but the eight is obviously um, eight stories, or what will be eight stories, which is the House on Ashley Avenue, Go Fish. And then the ones that I'm working on now, which um, they're going to tell um, the whole story of the Miraville group and the eight. So it's going to be, it's actually going to be seven stories. And then the eighth is actually going to be probably a short novel, which will cap off that story with those characters. And um, yeah, the plan is, you know, to collect those into a book one day and I'll call it the eight or something. You know? So That was actually but, one of my questions. So you, you've already beaten me to that one. So that one is going to work. Well, the idea is that I think um, instead of doing each individual story where they're focusing on a different house, they will sort of do that. But because it's a story with these characters and, and the arc of these characters and, and their own personal journey, um, I'm not really planning on selling or on, on, on publishing the stories individually. 
after maybe the third or the fourth one because by then it'll be like reading chapter four or five of a book that people haven't read the first four chapters so i'm thinking that um, there's going to be a point um, maybe even after the third one where i feel like um, to really do these characters justice so it doesn't feel like a reboot every time I write one of their stories and have to provide all this backstory, it really is going to end up being like a like a mosaic novel, which is like a novel told through short stories or, or novellas. So it's, um, I think the eight collection will be a big book, but I think it's going to be um, a good one. It'll be, it'll feel like you could read them as, a, as an individual story. So with this, with this big capper of a story at the end, which is just going to have, I'm just going to throw in everything that I know about haunted houses. It's going to be a big haunted house mashup. Nice. You know? <laughs> I was like, I, I'm, I'm kicking myself. Now I can't remember if it was it Toby or Tony, but I, I'd like to see whether they strangle him or not. Cause I know that the end of go fish, uh, he was getting on everybody's nerves. <laughs> he, I will tell you a funny story about him. He, uh, Ellen, Ellen Datlow hated that character when I first sent her that story. And she was like, she was like, I'll buy the story from you, but you have to make this character much less irritating. So, I mean, he's obviously supposed to be obnoxious, but that's the problem is that when you're doing a character that's like that, the, the, uh, the danger is that you make him so irritating that people don't like him. So all I can say is he was a lot worse than the original. Track. Gotcha. Because I, I thought he wasn't that bad, but, uh, yeah, I can, I can see that. So you toned him down a little bit. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is talking about the other stories, the next one that I'm working on, he's in it, but he has, he's mellowed a bit. He is, he is from his experiences in the second one. And this is why I'm saying that, you know, after a while, you can't really read them individually. You have to read them as part of the collection because Toby that you see in this third story is very different from the Toby that you see in the second one. He has um, he has grown, but he's also, again, there's, there's some trauma there. Like you don't, these aren't just sort of like, um, comic book characters where they don't they don't carry anything with them from their previous encounters so they had this horrible encounter with this entity in goldfish and you need to see the scars from that you need to see the emotional effectiveness uh, that that's the emotion that's affected them even as psychics even as operatives of this company they they're still young they're they're him and uh, and Sal, they're, they're both in their early 20s and um this would be traumatic for, for anybody. So I, I really want to carry that through because I think that's what makes the characters more believable, you know, and more, more realistic and, and you're more invested in them. You're more exactly, invested. That's in them. exactly what I was saying. And you, you care more about them. I mean, you, you don't yeah. want these two dimensional characters. And I think if you keep the, keep the whole basis of who they are the same throughout, I mean, there's gotta be that core that makes them them, mm -hmm. but things have to affect them. Or at some point you're just like, yeah, yeah, you just don't care. Well, I think that was literally the, the I was that's the story that I'm working on right now. And they're at a meeting at the very beginning. They're 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 watching like a uh, a really grisly PowerPoint presentation, and um, Sally is expecting she's waiting for Toby to make a crack, and he's not. And she's surprised that he's not cracking wise. And that's what that was my way of being able to say it was probably this thing that had happened to them, you know, six months ago or however long fish was but that was my way of being able to touch on that and to explain that at the same time toby is not the toby that you knew from before he's he's mellowed a bit he's maybe matured a bit or he's still suffering some trauma you know maybe all the above it uh it's what makes these characters interesting you, you write an interesting character and then you grow and develop them by having unfortunately usually horrible things happening to them but that's the business well, right when you're writing horror characters. stories so i mean you know that's <laughs> exactly uh, there's probably not a happy you know uh, ever after on on some of these mm -hmm. um and i apologize i keep drinking some of course now i've been fine all day and now i get a tickle in my throat because that's just how <laughs> life works um what was the other, oh the other one and I'm, I'm gonna tease you just a little bit on this one mm. i told you that you know i felt like go fish was like or not go fish shards was like the perfect ending 
You couldn't really add anything else to this story, but you couldn't take anything away from it either. <clears throat> I am still trying to make up my mind about you can't save them all. <clears throat> I am so stuck between that was the perfect ending and no, I need to know more. <laughs> and I well, haven't figured out which side of the fence I've landed on yet. <laughs> I well I, I can't talk about it too much because I, I will I will make sure I will track down a copy I will make sure you get a copy of Supernatural Tales but I can't even mention the story that I want you to read but it, it's it's a Blackland story mm -hmm. and you don't need to have read the other ones obviously to enjoy it because that's the way I write all of these stories and I, and I can talk a bit more about that and how I write these stories to make them stand alone but also um, work as something larger than a whole that's that's one where um, I feel like it stands on its own. But I think I'm not I'm not 100 sure, but I feel like you might be more satisfied if you got this other connection. But again, I can't I can't even say it without no, no. Well, a big spoiler. No, no, exactly. And, and I think it's one of these things where I think it's just really satisfying for you, because even when I was telling people that it was a Blackland story and they said, oh, is it a Felix story? I was like, no, no, Felix isn't in this one. This is this is one of my standalone ones, because because I, it's a whole world. It's not just one character. And that was my idea was that there are multiple characters. There are Felix novels. There are non-Felix novels. There's novels with other characters that are going to recur too. But it's the it's like it's like uh, the way I've always the way I pitched it to my agent and the way my my agent pitches it to publishers is that it's a supernatural version of The Wire, where it's the it's the world that's the recurring character. The same way that in The Wire it's Baltimore, it's the city that's the recurring character, where mm -hmm. the characters in each season come and go, right? So in my world, it's the Blacklands is the recurring character, and Felix is in it for a little while, and then you get this other character, and then sometimes it's just a bunch of random characters because i just want to be able to tell this other story with these characters i'm never going to discuss again so um with um you can't save them all i was trying to do two things i was trying to bring back something that was a really popular um uh, subject from the blacklands that people really really liked so i wanted to do a start another story with with that element i said very vaguely because i'm trying not to spoil anything and i really want to do a story about social work because um my stepmother she just retired um spent 30 years in the uh as a uh, caseworker for the Children's Aid Society here. Okay. And I really wanted to do something about what, what the work was like. And, and, and the fact that even though you know that the, the laws and, and everything is kind of stacked against you, 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 I mean, a lot of those speeches that the one her coworker gives are speeches that I've heard my, my stepmother give and that you're, you don't get embittered to it, but you have to build like a callus or else the job will just eat you alive. You know, it's just, it's that kind of work. Um, and my father was in the RCMP for, for 30 years. So it's sort of like the same thing where it's just, you have to be sort of entered to that type of work or else you're just not going to last. And it's not about being bitter. It's not about being desensitized to it, but you just, you have to have the right, um, right machinery to do it and, and sometimes you don't know until you're doing it you say hey i did this for a year or two i'm this isn't for me sometimes you just you just can't know and um my dad and my stepmother have both seen people in their respective fields sort of come and go at it and then some people just do it you know for for as long as they did if not longer because because they can do it but it's it's something that i knew that i couldn't do it's uh, mm -hmm. that's why i've got so much respect for people who do that type of work or, or any type of work that i can't do it's just um, I don't, I think that there's a lot of work out there that you just don't really understand what people go through. And for me, I wanted to do this story about, about social workers and, um, and, uh, and, and sort of, uh, sort of a view into what they really deal with on a day by day basis. Yeah, I did love the character of Dee. I, I feel like that was very much a, mm -hmm. a kind of a, a rock of the story, even though it wasn't about mm -hmm. her. Right. Um, so I buried the lead a little bit just because I wanted to talk about some of your books. Because uh, then the next subject, I know there's only going to be so much you can talk about. 
Mm -hmm. uh, some people may have heard of this guy, maybe done a couple of B-list movies, Sam Raimi. Um, I think he's doing the uh, Doctor Strange uh, movie right now. Uh, and it's, it's not, at first when I heard it, it took me a second, but then I had to remember as a director, he's done Spider-Man, he's done Doctor Strange, stuff like that. But we also forget as a producer, I mean, he's done The Grudge, he's done the Poltergeist reboot, he's done mm -hmm. The Evil Dead. Some people may have heard of that. Mm -hmm. um, he picked up uh, an option as to, to produce uh, one of your stories. Yeah, he, um, what, what happened, sort of the long story short, was um, there was a producer, uh, Roy Lee, who also, also produced um, uh, The Ring and The Grudge, uh, as well, all these movies. He, um, he was a big fan of Every House is Haunted, and he really loved the house on Ashley Avenue. He loved the idea of this insurance company sort of secretly investigating the supernatural and this idea of the eight, these, these haunted properties that are so paranormally polluted that they have to be left empty. They're off the grid. Um, they can't destroy them for, for whatever supernatural reason. There is a reason. I don't, there's, I don't cop out on that. I just haven't really explained it yet because you don't want to reveal all your secrets in the first couple of stories, but there is a reason. Um, and he just really liked the story. So I met with him in Toronto. This was years ago, 2013 or 2014. And at that time he got um, NBC Universal to option it because the idea was they were going to do a, a TV show. He had done lots of movies um, and he had done one TV show. He had done Bates Motel and um, he wanted to get into TV more. So we thought this would make a great TV show, cable TV show. Um, so Universal optioned it for, um, for a few years and then they just let the option lapse. I can't remember how long. So then, as you said, he, uh, Raimi was producing um, the Poltergeist uh, remake and um, he was doing it with Roy. And I, th I think that might've been how they met. And then Roy basically said to, to, to Raimi, I got this story that I really like. Um, I could never make a run of it as a TV show. Maybe you want to try it as a movie. So Raimi read the story and really liked it. So he reached out to me, asked me if I had the rights back and I did. And then I just mentioned that, you know, this story is actually connected to other stories in my collection. So he said, well, then send me the whole book. So I sent him uh, Every House is Haunted. And he decided to option all of the stories in, uh, in the book. So, uh, so yeah, that was, I sat on that for like two years. And then it was just last year, they announced uh, they were able to sell it. To, there was a bidding war for it um, once they had a script and a director. And um, Netflix got it. So yeah, I mean it's it's been a it's been a crazy wild ride. So uh, it's supposed to go into production the next few months. Uh, COVID has just slowed everything down. Oh, <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah, I, mean, I mean it's just like I mean it's still happening. I mean it's uh, I mean they they just renewed the option recently because the because I mean it was just like you you have an option for like a year or eighteen months right. and the time just goes by right. So I mean they just renewed that fairly recently. It obviously tells you that they're still interested. I'm in contact with everyone because I'm actually working on the movie as a consultant. So. Uh, I'm in the loop on all these things, which is great because, um, again, they don't have to do that. Usually they just buy the rights from the writer and they and they go on and do their thing, which I would have been totally happy with, too. But um, uh, Rainey has been really, really gracious and he provided a blurb for um, the reprint of Every House is Haunted, which is going to be coming out this October, okay. which is fantastic. Cemetery Dance is doing it. I'm so excited. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's sort of like a dream come true. I mean, obviously, um, I'm a huge Sam Raimi fan. I, I've loved his work since the original Evil Dead. I'm a massive Spider-Man fan, so I love his Spider-Man movies. Like, The the Gift, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. he's done, done so many great, like, Dark Man, you know, uh, Army of Darkness. There's just so many great movies that, that he's done over the years. 
And uh, obviously I'm super pumped about him doing uh, the new Doctor Strange movie. When, when I heard it was going to be a horror movie, sort of like a horror MCU movie, and that was the reason why they, they reached out to him, I was like, perfect. I mean, just doing a bonkers... I mean, when you see like the old like Steve Ditko, you know, like Doctor Strange artwork mm -hmm. and how like demons and portals, everything there is like the, the only way you can capture that in a film is with crazy Sam Raimi camera moves. You know, it's just like it's going to be it's a, it's a match made in the multiverse. You know? I, I, I'm a huge Marvel fan myself, too. So yeah. if it gives it away, my daughter named her dogs Rogue and Remy. So, you know, oh, awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've got a family of nerds going on over here, too. So, yep. um, man, now everybody's going to be trying to figure out how to find that book without the movie cover, though. I used to work at a bookstore. Yeah. I said, nobody ever wants the movie cover. Well, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, like you go online, like no one wants the Netflix sticker. on. Like for me, it's a marketing thing. So it helps sell the book and other people mm -hmm. don't want that. So like, I, I totally understand that. Hey, and um, the book is, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, Barnabas is here. He was, was going to make a preview eventually. That's my cat. Oh, trust me, I've seen Sean and McGuire's cat. I've seen you know, John Lyons' cat. Ever, ever. I think you to be a writer, you have to have either a cat or a dog, preferably a cat. Well, and they need to show he, up at least once during an interview. He gets more likes and you know Facebook retweet or uh, Twitter retweets and stuff than any of my material. Whenever I post a picture of him, so it's like next time I need to post like that Netflix news with a picture of the cat and then it'll it'll go even more viral so it's uh <laughs> everyone likes the pictures of the cats what can i say so if there's a cat in the movie maybe you can get him a, a slot in there too well i think you'll get in there before i do i mean they <laughs> they said if they film it in toronto they'll throw me in the background somewhere so uh which is pretty cool yeah, but, need, uh, they, they do like to, every once in a while you throw an author in there's like only the person that knows the author goes hey i know who that is exactly <laughs> exactly uh, but hey oh uh, you no, pretty cool. a screen actors guild thing right it's all good yeah i mean it's for me it's just being when when you see your name up there on that credit where you're sort of sharing it with uh with sam raimi i mean it's 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 i don't even think about oh that's going to be good for my career even though i'm sure it will be it's just like for me it's just it really is a dream come true i'm such yeah. a raimi fan like when when i told my sister she started crying and, and the first thing she said was 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 mom would have been so proud oh, and it was just like it wasn't again it wasn't just because my mom has since passed and she passed like 20 years ago but it was the fact that she was the horror influence in our lives she was the one that let us watch horror movies when we were a kid so she she would have known who sam raimi was she would have she would have this is the movie that she would have let us watch if we were kids you know so it's um it's not just something that's good for my career or, you know, it's going to make you some money, whatever. It's just on a very personal level. It just, um, it really means something to me. And the fact that I didn't like seek him out, it was like, he seek, he, you know, he, he sought me out, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, it's, uh, it's something that, um, that, you know, even if the movie tanks or, or even the movie just doesn't end up happening, I'll still have, you know, like that blurb for my book. I'll still have the, the messages that we've swapped, um, I mean, a week after I signed the contract, he sent me a, uh, a signed um, Evil Dead poster, you know, like oh, an wow. original Evil Dead poster, just talking about, you know, hey, I'm really excited to be working with you on your excellent book, you know, Sam Raimi. So it was just like, <laughs> I still look at it and I still can't believe it sometimes. It's, it's, it's one of these things that I pass in my office all the time, but it still sort of blows my mind that, yeah, Sam Raimi knows who I am and he's a fan of my work. And that, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Am I missing any of you? Because you said a lot of your uh, short stories and stuff are all part of the series. I don't think I've, is, did I miss any books, anything else that you want to talk about book-wise? 
No, I mean, those were the two. And like I said, uh, Every House is Haunted will be back out this October. It'll actually be, it'll be the 10 year anniversary of when it first came out, which which really just says, so like, I really need to get more books out. <laughs> the problem is that I've got like, I've written four or five novels, but it's really hard, especially when, when you're, when you're pitching exclusively to the big five, it's really hard to sell horror. It's hard to sell genre. And especially when you haven't sold anything else to, to the big five. So I'm really, uh, on the one hand, I'm sort of a seasoned veteran in the sense that I've had lots of short stories published. I've done a couple of books in the small press, but to the big five, it's like, I'm starting all over from scratch, right? It's just, there, there really is um, a feeling right now of kind of restarting my career um, now that I've got this, uh, the Netflix news and everything to capitalize on. And, and I don't really care about that. I mean, I love to write and I just really want to build a readership. It's the reason why I like the small presses that have um, like good distribution because it's a, you want to make sure you get the books in people's hands mm. and, and just people that are making them like affordable too. like a lot of small presses are um, are like the specialty presses that do like um, collector's editions and the like the fancy hardcovers, which I like I own I own hundreds of them, but th the collector's market and the reader's market are not necessarily the same thing the, the right. collector's market. Are, are, are readers too, but you're not going to get a big readership by just publishing exclusively with the collector's markets because you're, you're, the books are like 50, 100, $200. They're limited runs of like 200, 300 copies. They're, they're for the collectors. I'm trying to build a readership. I want, I want to have a big, a big following. So I try to go with, um, with the publishers who have the wider reach and um, you're just trying to be smart with it that way. This is why I love, um, working with Ellen Datlow and her collections and obviously tour.com because it's, it's a massive reach. It's a, it's a major website. People can read it for free or you can buy it online for like a buck if you want to read it on an e-reader. So it's, it really, for me, it's, um, it's always, it's been one of the best places to, to publish stories because a lot of the stories that are in every house is haunted. They're, they're in magazines that are, that are dead. You know, you can't even get them anymore. Right. So, I mean, the magazines, they, they never really last very long. So, um, I'm really just trying to uh, find a way to get my stories uh, into people's hands as easily as possible, you know? Oh, exactly. That, yeah, that was my biggest frustration because every time I read something from a different series, I'm like, well, now I want to read the rest of these. And I'm looking and like, go to a magazine. It's like, out of print, out of print, out of print. It's like, yeah. man. Well, the plan, the plan now is, is to, uh, is to uh, the, the next thing on deck is to uh, find a home for the Blacklands. And I think because... Um, because of this sort of eye-opening uh, experience with the Big Five and the fact that the Big Five probably wouldn't be the best home for the Blacklands because what, what, what would end up probably happening is I, I maybe I sell I sell one Felix Wren novel or or they or or they buy it and like maybe they buy two of them like a two book deal and if the first one does okay but the second one doesn't do as well and because the second book almost of a two book deal almost never does as well as your first book that's just the way it is they it's like second book itis you know and then they don't promote it right so and then they walk away so my my fear is that yeah you maybe you get a, a good deal um, they they publish a couple of Felix Wren books but they don't perform the way the publisher wants them to. And so they decide they don't want any more Blacklands books. And now they own the series and that's it for me writing Blacklands stories. So um, I, think, I think it's better for me to have a more, uh, a smaller, more devoted press um, that really wants to get behind it. They want to do the novels, they want to do the collections, they want to do chapbooks or novellas, whatever. Cause like I have, I have the, the Felix Wren novel, I've got Sycamore, I've got Supernatural Tales, which is the first four Felix Frenzer. It's almost like the prequel to, to the novel series. It's like, remember, remember in the comic books back in the day, you would have issue number one, but then sometimes they would issue 
they would have issue number zero and it would be like a mm -hmm. prequel. It would be like the introduction to the series. I always see Supernatural Tales as like Felix Wren issue zero because it's the these four novellas. They tell you how he got into the the monster game, how he got into to taking on supernatural cases so that by the time Sycamore starts, he's established. But the funny thing about Sycamore is that he doesn't want to take these cases anymore. He's taking what he, what, what of course he thinks is a regular missing persons case because he knows that, or he feels anyway, that the more of these supernatural cases that he takes, one day he's just going to get killed by something. It's just like he, I think he says, I think the line at one point is, um, you can't keep dancing with the devil and not expect to get your, to, to get your, your foot stepped on or something like that. And it's just that he's good at it. Um, but it's a very dangerous work. It's not like adultery work or insurance fraud, right? Like, like what regular detectives do. So when he comes across a case, when a woman is asking to him to, to find her missing husband, he just jumps on it. It's like, well, there's no ghosts. There's no vampires. Absolutely. This is like, this is like a, he, he jokes that this is like a vacation for him. So um, it's sort of, he, by the end of it, of course, he's going to realize that you, uh, you can't outrun your nature. And this is sort of, especially in a world where the supernatural like just exists, you really can't outrun it. And that he's sort of just destined to do this for however long that he's meant to do it. And that also would speak to the length of the series because I mean, Robert B. Parker did, uh, did Spencer books for years. So mm -hmm. I, this is not something that I see as a, uh, as like a duology or a trilogy, I'll, I'll do them as long as people want to keep reading about Felix. But then again, like there, there's other stories within the world um, with different characters at different walks of life, because Felix is just a Toronto based private investigator. And this is how he deals with the supernatural. I've got other stories with a character who's actually a friend of Felix's um, Jerry Baldwin and Jerry is a real estate agent, but he only sells haunted properties. So he is, um, he's like a huckster of haunted real estate. So his stories are a bit lighter. I wouldn't say funny because nothing is funny mm -hmm. in the Blacklands world, but, but even tonally, the different stories in the, in, in the world are, are done. So I would say that Felix's are like um, supernatural Spencer's and Jerry Baldwin's um, stories. Um, and I've written a couple and there's, our, there's, there's one that's out, but it's out of print right now called uh, Possession is Nine Tenths of the Law. They're all like real estate based. They're, they're, they're a bit lighter. They're, they're sort of um, urban fantasy-ish. And then there's another one with another character who is a, um, an agent of the, uh, the Paranormal Intelligence Agency, which is a, a government agency that investigates the, uh, the, uh, the supernatural. So her series, again, is very different from the other two. And I would say that they're, they're more procedurals. So they're like, um, I would say, uh, you know, Elmore Leonard meets, you know, um, Thomas Harris, you know, Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, but with a supernatural twist to them. So they're more, they're more higher level, you know, like a almost X-Files-ish right. in their conspiracies. Whereas Felix is more friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's helping individuals out with their problems and their interactions on a very personal level. Whereas this PI agent, her series, is like political intrigue and, and much bigger stakes, you know? So I, again, I, I just really wanted to say this, this phenomenon, the Blacklands affects the entire world. I wanna look at different aspects of different people and different walks of life, you know? Like, like uh, there's, there's many portals in the, um, off of the, uh, the Florida coast. And in my world, that's what the Bermuda Triangle is. That's, that's where all the portals first started to come. There's a huge concentration of portals out there. So um, I, I'd started taking notes on a short story that was basically, well, what does the commercial fishing industry looks like out there? So it's really just the, it's a story about fishermen fishing in the, in the Bermuda Triangle. So it's like, 
it's like the perfect storm meets, you know, destroy all monsters, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like, it's, uh, it's just mashups of everyday people in a world where, you know, like paranormal has become the norm, you know, what's, what, how does it affect the everyday man and woman or child, you know? We'll have to read and go fish. I know I'm not fishing anymore. So, you know, that's all, <laughs> all there is to that. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a little bit about the comics and stuff like that. I remember in your bio, you used to write a comic when you were younger. Yes. Yeah. When I was, um, when I was 12 years old, I actually had a, a comic strip in uh, our local newspaper. I've always loved comic strips. And actually, that's what I thought that I was going to do when I was younger, that I was going to be a comic uh, comic strip writer. I loved, uh, I was obsessed with Calvin and Hobbes. My dad bought me the essential Calvin and Hobbes, which was a collection of the first two Calvin and Hobbes books for Christmas. And I must have been 11 or 12. And I was just blown away. And I just absolutely loved it. I loved the artwork. I loved the stories. And so I just created this comic called Sticks and Stone, which is about a snake named Sticks and his pet rock. And they just lived in a forest and they just, mm. you know, did stuff. Out of it. it was very simple, but I think that's, in my mind, the, the best comics were the simplest ones. And um, yeah, I did that for a few years and I got it into our local paper and I quit it. <laughs> I remember when and why I quit it. I quit it my first year of high school, grade nine, because everybody teased me about it at school so they I, I saw your answer coming before you said it yeah <laughs> so, so oh i just high school yeah it was brutal i mean because i mean i was really proud of it like it was in the paper it every i lived in this uh, town uh, called whitby so it wasn't really small town i would say it's maybe it was maybe sixty thousand people at that time um but like everyone at the school knew who i was my picture was always next to me um you know ian rogers you know 12 year old 13 year old Whitby resident was there so like everyone knew who I was and they called me sticks that was my nickname all through high school because of the snake and because I was really skinny like I'm I'm, I'm still skinny now, but I was really short and skinny then and the funny thing was is that uh I didn't like the teasing I didn't care about the nickname because actually as far as nicknames go I got off pretty easy I think yeah. sticks was okay it could be worse <laughs> and I mean even now I mean on Facebook when people look me up I still get called sticks every now and again hey sticks I saw you on Facebook hey sticks I saw your Netflix news so I mean it's it's funny how they've all retconned their oh I knew you would do something great it was like you guys teased me mercilessly. <laughs> I'm not yeah, bitter about it. Goes, kids, though, I mean. kids, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't awful, you know, like I, I didn't get beaten up and no one no one laid a hand on me. But but I did quit. I did quit because it was easier to not do it and not endure the teasing than it was to think, well, I'm gonna do this for the next four years until I graduate. Nope. You know. Uh, no, I totally get that. I was actually watching an interview with uh I don't know if you ever do any of this stuff on Twitch, but there's a guy named Ludwig. Uh he was mm -hmm. talking about the fact that he started out, he was actually a streamer and then he got to college and people picked on him for it and he was teasing him all the time. So he, I mean, he quit for years before he came back. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's uh adolescence can be, I don't even, I wish it wouldn't even say adolescence by the time you're in high school, but mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it can be a pain in the butt, but it's yeah. good to see. I mean, Hey, if you were drawing comics, maybe we wouldn't have these stories. And I'm telling you, uh, absolutely love the stories. I am totally back into the horror genre now. Well, thank you. And it's, uh, it's cool. I mean, when I look back and when I looked at my bio and it's like, well, I did this comic when I was 12 and I was on this radio show when I lived in Toronto because I was this big, I was like a teenage UFO investigator. And then this case that I was involved with that came back to haunt me because it was on Unsolved Mysteries. They did a documentary about it like 25 years later. So I was on this big CBC documentary that was you know you could you could argue that the documentary was actually about me so i mean that's that you can actually see online so i mean this was all this was aired all across canada last mm -hmm. year so they just came and looked me up because 
I was one of the people that was still alive. Um, Cause again, 30 years ago, a lot of these investigators had since passed on or they didn't want to talk about it, or they just, they only knew a piece of the story where I knew this whole crazy mixed up thing um, where I was one of the people that was sort of involved with exposing this, this big UFO case as a hoax. And the fact that my father was involved in the RCMP at the time, and there was an RCMP component to this case. So when these people came to me and they said, you know, would you be willing to be in this documentary? And I said, sure. And I said, I went and actually was able to find all my old case files and stuff because I'm a pack rat and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't throw anything away. And the, I was doing, I ended up doing more and more research for them. So I was almost working on the documentary. And then by the time the documentary started to morph into this thing where it, it started to become about me returning to the case after 25 years. So I was, they came up and they filmed with me for like four or five days. They came up a few months later to do reshoots. And I was like, how much of this thing am I going to be in? And um, when they actually showed it to me, and it's a great production, it's, it looks, it looks great. It looks really, really slick, but I'm like, I'm all through it. So, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. So it's a little, it's a little weird, it's a little uncomfortable, but I mean, it's, it's just one of these sort of wacky things in your life that just sort of happened where it's like, I almost forget sometimes because I'm not, I'm not involved in ufology or anything anymore. Like I'm, I was always, uh, I like to say that I started out a Mulder and grew up into a Scully. Um, mm. I've always been pretty skeptical, but there's just not really a lot going on in ufology anymore. There hasn't really been any like big cases like a Roswell, you know, in years and years. So I don't even really keep a toe in, in terms of what the big cases are these days. So when these guys sort of came to me out of the blue, I'm like, why would you want to do a story on this? But it was such a, a weird, unusual case. And um, again, uh, there was this resurgence because Unsolved Mysteries came back on the air on Netflix itself that um, it turned out that this segment was one of their most watched episodes and you can still see it on YouTube and stuff that they wanted to um, do this, this Canadian company wanted to revisit this case, you know, 20, 25 years later, it was just weird. <laughs> I, I will let you know, I did look for it. Uh, it is not available in the U S at this point in time, at least. I yeah. It's uh, it's geocached. So you'd have to have a VPN or something if you want to watch it on YouTube, unfortunately, I, I'm still in touch with the producers and they said that, um, Again, I think it might have just been a COVID thing. They haven't been able to sell the rights internationally because they thought for sure everyone would snap this up. So it only aired a year ago. So I'm sure it'll find a home somewhere in the States eventually. And then I'll give it another big push on social media. Because, yeah, it was hard to sort of really promote it because it was it was literally almost a year ago. I think it was like March, end of March, it came out of 2021. And it was really hard to promote it when a good chunk of my friends in the States weren't able to see it. <laughs> so they could go online, they could see the pictures, they could see the trailer, they could, I wrote an essay on the CBC website, so they could read that. But it was all sort of like a tease, you know, it was a tease because they couldn't watch the thing. <laughs> yep. It happens, it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I am hoping to watch that at some point because it did sound interesting. Carp, was that it? Was that the right? Name yeah, Carp Ontario, which sounds, which is such an Ontario <laughs> Canadian sounding name, you know, it was, uh, of course, lends itself to all kinds of, uh, of great clickbait headlines that would have been really great if there was an internet back when the case was going on, you know, something smells fishy about this UFO case. <laughs> and of course there was because it was all a big hoax. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the hoaxes, it's harder to pull off the hoaxes now because, I mean, let's face it, most of the hoaxes are usually done on really poor film cameras. And everybody's got a phone these days. <laughs> Nobody yeah. believes you if you have a blurry photo anymore. Well, and that's why that's I think that is also a, a large reason of why we haven't seen a big UFO case in a really, really long time, because you're right. You can fake something now, not even with complicated or expensive um, software, but just filters on your phone. 
that that and, and the fact is you don't even need to do a good one because people just believe everything these days like belief culture has just kind of gone bonkers like we have we have flat earthers again how did that happen you know that there are now people that believe that the earth is flat and they have an actual movement again online like how how have we reached that that level but it's like, like alien abduction you know you never hear about that anymore you know it's just it was just it was so prevalent in the 80s and 90s and then the minute that everyone had a phone with a camera on it and then now with like an hd video camera on it like like my phone takes better pictures than my slr camera you know it's oh, just yeah. you know but and, and now suddenly no more alien abduction no one talks about it. like back in the day everyone and their dog was getting abducted you know now no one well, I, I still can't believe uh, uh, in the flat Earth thing. And mainly, let's face it, you can prove it. You have three cats. Mm-hmm. If the Earth was flat, everything would have been knocked off by now. There's, there's, there's <laughs> that is no exactly way. true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. Is there anything? Is there anything I haven't asked you that you would hope I'd asked? No, I think. I mean, uh, I appreciate your interest in my work. I mean, uh, thank you for trying to track down as much as you can. Uh, all I can say is that I'm making uh, major efforts to to make available the stuff that um, that's out of print. I mean, every house is haunted. With the Netflix movie, is the big one. I mean, I, I feel uh, pretty bad if that movie finally comes out, or or even if movie news starts to drop, and it should be starting to drop any day now. Casting, everything else. Those are the next big things. That those will be the big next big news drops over the next few uh, months or so. I would feel pretty, uh, pretty bad if I wasn't able to say, um, oh, the book's going to be coming out soon. You know, it's uh, mm. that, that was always my fear is that the movie's out, but the book isn't available because I wasn't able to, to sell the reprint rights. So um, I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm hopeful that um, the Blacklands will find a new home sometime soon. That's that's our next project. Um, I'm doing some edits on a standalone um, horror novel that we're going to try with. Uh, we're going to send on submission again because I had this interest with the, with the big five publishers with um, with Sycamore with the Blacklands. They just didn't want to make the commitment on the series. I've got this the standalone horror novel that I'm hoping will will win them over because I, I still want to try them. I love the small presses. There are some great ones out there. Mm-hmm. But I would still like to have that that big book, you know, with a, with a bigger press. So it's uh, it's kind of a uh, it's like a, a supernatural, like a like a woodsy apocalypse book called uh, The Underwood. Okay. That uh, I'd sort of describe it as uh, Blair Witch Project meets uh, Jacob's Ladder. I guess would be my my elevator pitch on that one. So it's it's dark. It's really really creepy. Yeah. It's uh, again. I don't want to. I don't want to describe it too much because again, I you don't want to. I don't want to oversell. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> so, but I say it's a standalone horror book, and I've got a couple that are like that in, in the works right now. And uh, Obviously, I'm, I'm very quickly trying to finish um, the rest of the eight because I just I've got that momentum. You know, I when I when I when Go Fish was published a couple of years ago, it had been like more than 10 years since I had uh, written The House on Ashley Avenue. So it was like, oh, I forgot about these characters. And uh, I can't even remember why I decided to write Go Fish. I knew that that was going to be the next one, but something just popped in my head. And then the story just came out in a day or two. That's that's how I write is in these really frantic bursts. I get the idea and then I have to. I have to, my fingers have to catch up with my brain to sort of, because it's pouring out of me like lava. Um, and then I decided, um, even without the the Netflix thing, I just said, I want to finally finish this story. I know what's going to happen with these characters. I know how it's going to end, I think. It could always change, you know, like, no, I, I outline, but no outline is written in stone. Things change along the way, they often do. But I want to get, I want to get it done. I want to get this book done and then have, the, have that story told and finished so I can move on. Because... Uh, it's it's the urgency of a story that you want to write. I mean, even while I was working on these these eight stories, I mean, I had an idea last week, and it was I don't write a lot of science fiction, but I had an idea for this 
kind of a, an apocalyptic science fiction story. So I just wrote it. I wrote that over the past week and it ended up being like 12,000 words. And I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. I might, I might try and send it to tour.com or something. Cause again, at 12,000 words, you can't really send it a lot of places. There's it's, it's too long for a short story. It's too short for a novel, that sort yeah. of a thing. So, and that's unfortunately a lot of my stories are, are that long, but I really liked it. And it was just, it was a story that I had to write really, really urgently. And it just sort of poured out of me. And it was just weird because also as, as a science fiction story, I don't write a, lot, write a lot of science fiction. It was, it was different for me too. So it's, you write, you write the story that you feel that most passionate about at the time, you know, uh, or at least that's how I do it. You know, it's, uh, you sort of take the past, uh, the, the path of least resistance and you, um, I mean, I guess some people call it the muse. I just, I just call it like passion, you know, like the, your fuel. It's the one thing that you can't, no one can teach you. You know, like people, people can teach you how to write. They can teach you proper grammar. They can teach you how to write a, you know, a submission letter to an editor or an agent. But the one thing that you can't teach anyone is, is passion. It's what I say to people all the time. It's just, it's, I look at writing, like throwing, like, like playing darts, you know, and, and the bullseye, I guess, is, is success, you know, like whatever, whatever form your success takes, whether it's money or awards or whatever, but you're trying to hit that bullseye. So you're throwing, you're throwing the, the dart at the bullseye. And what I, what I tell people is that what you have to remember in this analogy is that you don't bank everything on one book or one story like, or one dart, you know, because if you do, and then you miss, it's going to feel like that you've lost, you're a big failure. It's just the first start. You, you have to keep throwing it and you have to keep throwing it over and over again. And the funny thing is, is that anyone who hears that analogy thinks that the point is, oh yeah, you keep, you keep doing that because you'll get better. And that's true. And then one day you'll hit the bullseye. And that's also true. But the point I was always trying to reach with that analogy was that ultimately the reason why you're doing it, hopefully, is that you really like playing darts. <laughs> so like, you know, you're doing it because you love to do it. And at my darkest times, and, and even with the Netflix thing, I mean, I've had my highs and lows. I mean, it's, uh, I keep telling people over time, uh, over the past few, the past year, like never feel sorry for a guy with a Netflix deal. But that doesn't mean that my, all these doors are, are flying open for me, because they're not, I still have to work my ass off. And there's still lots of rejection. But I do it because I love it. And on the days that I don't love it, I just don't do it. I don't quit. I don't make any huge proclamations. I'm never going to do this again. I'm no good. Uh, I say that sometimes, but my wife, who is my number one champion, doesn't put up with any of that. So she's like, I understand you're feeling bad. Watch a movie, go game for a couple hours, go to sleep. You will feel better tomorrow. And she, she's always right. I mean, because she's right about everything because she's way smarter than I am. But I mean, that's part of the support system. The support system isn't just someone telling you you can do it or someone who just reads your work. It's someone who, who knows your BS and knows all the twists and turns that you might not necessarily sell yourself because you're the one that's you're in the maze, you know, and your support system is, is often outside of it sort of saying, oh, no, no I, know, I see where you're going there and I see what's going to happen. You need to slow down or stop moving and just take a breath and she's just always been been really, really good with that. And it's it also comes from knowing someone. We've been together for 20 years. It's such a cliche to say that I couldn't have done this without her, but but I really couldn't have. And and I wouldn't I wouldn't have wanted to, you know. It's just being able to share that success with uh with your your nearest and dearest is 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 is, uh, is some of the best part of this, you know, and, and being able to uh to talk to people like yourself and making new friends um in this community, which which is awesome. Um I, I've been in it for Jeez, I would say 19 years now, 18 or 19 years since I sold my first story for, for money, I guess. I mean, I've been in it before that, trying to submit, but I've been being really part of it where my name is out there. My name is on a story. 
it's been reviewed. That's sort of when I saw myself as really entering the community and I've made so many great friends. It's, uh, it's been a heck of a journey. You know, that's, that's all I can say. It's awesome. No, no, I totally appreciate that too. Um, it's just kind of funny. My wife and I, we've been married since 99. Although I do have to say, I'm going to have to put your wife and my wife in contact with each other because my <laughs> wife has never told me to go game for a couple hours. Um, and, and to relax. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, I, I'm also not writing, uh, you know, uh, uh, books that are getting on Netflix either. So then maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But a couple last things to follow up. I usually mm. try to go for about an hour and this is about how far we've gone. Okay. Uh, first of all, I just want to let you know, I don't just ask authors on here to be here. Uh, I read the shards first. That's what made me reach out to you because I love the book. And I'll tell anybody who's watching this later, this will be on YouTube later. Um, I've also started putting these on Apple podcasts for people who want to listen and, you know, are too busy to sit down and watch a video. But anytime somebody's on here, that's also my recommendation. Uh, you know, maybe I haven't read all of their stuff, but I've read at least one book or one story that I've fallen in love with. And I'm like, I've got to talk to this person. I've got to pick their brain a little bit. I've got to introduce them to other people. Um, everybody knows, you know, no hard hitting journalism here. You know, it's like, so what did you do when you were 21 in college? No, no, we're not doing that here. We're just having fun. We're talking about books and, you know, just letting people know that, you know, also, an author is not just an author. You've got other stuff going on. We talked, I mean, you talked about the UFO thing a little bit. You've written the comics uh, when you were younger, things like that. Everybody's multifaceted. Uh, and, you know, just to remember that introduce them to the person behind them. Because I think if you care about the author, mm -hmm. you're much more into the books. Um, oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I know, uh, for instance, and I'm, I'm not picking on him. Just we all know that he's, he writes like a new book every month. Uh, Patterson. You know, mm -hmm. I, I feel like he's actually finally writing his memoir, and I feel right. like that's probably going to introduce people to him that are always like, oh, Patterson is another Patterson book. Uh, right. And so I just wanted to introduce people to you, especially, you know, up there up there in the north. I don't think we get a lot of – I just think Americans, we, we get a little – we're a big – come on. Well, like Canada is a big country too. We're mm -hmm. a big country, and we kind of like, okay, this is in America, and we care about Americans. You can give us the occasional Nathan Fillion or Ryan Reynolds, and we'll take them. <laughs> Give Justin Bieber back. I'm just kidding. Don't talk, don't, don't anybody tell Justin Bieber. Yeah, we're, we're taking we're taking no beepers back on that one. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you probably we probably sent a few people up there too. You wanted to kick back, but anyhow. Um, but like I said, I just wanted to point out that this is you know a recommendation for me to you uh, for for excuse me for the audience to read your stuff. I love it. Yes, I did have to search a little bit to find some of your stuff, but it was totally worth it. Really looking forward. I'm hoping that the Netflix movie does a little kickstart. Maybe get some of that stuff that's out of print back in print. Gets people interested in your work, introduces you to them. One thing I do finish with every time, because let's face it, nothing against Amazon. After all, I'm on Twitch right now and Amazon owns Twitch. But you don't go see your favorite author at Amazon. You go see your favorite author at a bookstore. You go get introductions at a bookstore. So I want to let you just give a shout out to whatever you know local bookstore up there in Ontario or somewhere else that you've been. Just give a shout out to whatever bookstore and I'll make sure they get a link in the uh, YouTube description. Yeah, no, I mean, our, I don't know if they're like a little bookstore. I mean, up here, it's like uh, our chain, our, our big chain here is sort of Chapters Indigo. And um, we have one here in the, uh, the city where I live, Peterborough, and I've done signings there as well. I've actually had writers here, um, even from abroad. Um, the um, Mike Carey, who's a, a British writer who wrote the introduction to uh, Supernatural Tales, was here with his wife several years ago, but they also did a signing and a reading because he's done 
so many great books. He did uh, that novel, um, The Girl with All the Gifts, they got turned into a movie. He did that graphic novel series, um, The Unwritten, which is fantastic. Him and his wife were just like fantastic people, incredible writers. So it was nice sort of bringing them to our, our big bookstore here in town. It's just, uh, they love writers. I mean, even when I go in there, they, uh, they always get me to sign copies of the books of mine when they're in print and they're there. They got the stickers on it, local author, signed by author. It's, um, it's, it's a big store. It's sort of like, it's, it's a chain, but it has that small town, that small store feel to it. You know, oh, no, it's, exactly. Like I said, I just, shout, maybe I should have said brick and mortar. Just a shout out to a brick and mortar. Obviously, I, yeah. I did work at the Bookworm Omaha for years. So, you know, I do have a thing for the independent bookstores. But I also mm -hmm. worked for Books a Million, which was, you know, it's the second after Borders went down, it's the second biggest chain down here in the U.S. Um, but just I, I love to give the shout out, to, you know, go in, people get into books. Oh, yeah. You don't you don't necessarily browse on Amazon to find your next read. You go oh, on Amazon no. to look for the book you're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, go out and talk to your local booksellers, though. And especially I love the fact that you meant the local authors thing, the little tags. Mm -hmm. Any good bookstores got that on some of their favorite local authors, you know, hey. You want to talk to you want to read somebody here in town support somebody local here it is so i appreciate that so i will get them i will uh, get them noted in the youtube they're up in ontario uh, mm -hmm. i'll also give a shout out to obviously i've already talked about the bookworm but we also talked about the poison pen since you're going down to phoenix yes. hanging out in scottsdale I'll give them a little shout out and some links to your stuff as well so feel free to look under, under there for that i think that's all we've got for tonight so i'm going to go ahead and uh wrap it up about here uh, like I said, if anybody who was watching, if you missed anything, feel free. This will be on YouTube sometime tomorrow and sometime on Apple podcast far, far in the future, because I just learned how to do that yesterday and I'm playing catch up. <laughs> All right. Well, I do want to thank you, Ian, for hopping on here. Uh, hope uh, I did pronounce that correct, right? I didn't even ask Ian Rogers. Oh, that's it. Uh, okay. You got it. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. And like I said, we're hopefully, uh, you know, if you, if you make it big and this movie, it kicks off and we get some more books on here, I might just have to ask you to come back. 